0: This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news...
1: From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is the Spirituality and Health Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our guest today, Light Watkins, is a best-selling author, meditation teacher, founder of the Shine Movement, and a sought-after speaker and workshop leader. In 2018, inspired by the minimalist movement, Light discarded all his possessions that didn't fit into a carry-on bag and a backpack. Finding that too onerous, He ditched the carry-on and downsized to just the backpack. Light is the author of several books, including Bliss More and Knowing Where to Look. His newest book is called Travel Light, Spiritual Minimalism to Live a More Fulfilled Life. Travel Light is reviewed in the July-August 2023 issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. Light Watkins, welcome to the Spirituality and Health podcast.
0: Thank you. I'm honored to be here.
1: I'm excited to talk with you. I am very interested in minimalism. can't do it. <laughs> I like the idea you know less is more, but I mm-hmm. keep getting more every time I get less. I go, "Oh, no, now there's room for more." So it's it's something i aspire to. You know, I like uh, you know the the joy of tidying up that that whole movement too. And in, in her book, I don't know if you're familiar with with her work, but, of course. Yeah. So you know, she says, pick up the item and see if it brings you joy. And if it doesn't, then you know, let it go, give it away. I did mm-hmm. that, and the problem was, everything that did not give me joy didn't belong to me. It was all my wife's stuff, and <laughs> I kept giving away her stuff, and that <laughs> that didn't that didn't bring her joy. So <laughs> I had to give mm-hmm. that idea. Up. But I am interested in minimalism, especially spiritual minimalism, which I want to talk with you about because that's the focus of your book. But before we do that, I was fascinated by what you put in the backpack. So, I mean, I imagine the the listeners are going, that must be one huge backpack that you have to hire many people to carry. So In the book, you tell us how little you carry. So tell us what goes in your
0: backpack. Okay, so just to catch people up who aren't familiar with the book or my story, I moved out of my two-bedroom apartment in Santa Monica, California in May of 2018. And when I moved out originally, I had a carry-on bag, I had a 22-inch carry-on bag and so I put as much stuff as I could into that carry-on bag. And then about a year later, I realized I had way too much stuff and I wasn't using most of the things that I had in the bag. So I downsized to a backpack, to a little day pack, in fact. And it was everything that I wanted in my you know capsule wardrobe, they call it. So basically it's one pair of pants, it's one button down shirt. A couple pairs of shorts, three pairs of underwear, three t-shirts, a jacket, a hoodie, a sweatshirt, belt, a pair of sneakers, a pair of sandals, although I've gotten rid of the sandals at this point, some toiletries, my refillable water bottle, there's my meditation shawl and teaching kit, my podcast microphone, I got rid of the rechargeable battery, and then I have my iPad, journal, and some Mala beads. So that's, that's pretty much what I carry with me. I mean, that is impressive and, and there's
1: nothing else. I mean, that's, that's how you, that's it. Right. I
0: mean, well, that's, well that's, I mean, there's a little bit of nuance, nuance to it. Like right now I'm at an Airbnb in Mexico city and I've been here for a little while, been here for about a year. I just keep extending the Airbnb, but uh, then I'll travel, I'll go and I'll teach or lead a retreat or go and give us keynotes, talk somewhere. And then I've been coming back to this place, which is fully furnished. So if you walked in here, you wouldn't think, oh, a minimalist lives here, but I don't own anything in here. So if I had to leave tomorrow to go on the road again, i would still, everything that I have would fit in my backpack. Yeah. And, and, uh, and I also replace things. So, you know, if you wear the same pair of pants all the time, eventually they're going to get worn down a lot quicker than if you had, say, five pairs of pants. So I'll replace them with a new pair of pants, but I won't get rid of the old pair of pants right away. I'll wear both of them for a few days and I'll see which one I like best. And then based on that, I'll get rid of the other pair. So there's usually a little trial period because it has to feel good and practical practical and comfortable to become the one pair of pants that I have. And my standard is I have to love it. There's no like, oh, I kind of like it. You know, if I look at it from this angle and this light, then it's nice. No, I have to love it. And I've given myself... The freedom of choicelessness. So I don't even have room for something I don't love. Because if I if I acquire something and then I hit the road again, I've got to get rid of something. So so it's become a very efficient way of little system of maintaining this sort of minimalist lifestyle. But when it comes to spiritual minimalism, I'm not encouraging people to live from a backpack. <laughs> I'm encouraging people to clear the internal clutter, the emotional baggage, the toxicity that they may be experiencing in, in relationships. And, and it's through that that you'll find your version of living from a backpack, whatever that is.
1: Well, I, I get that. And, and you know, one of the things that I do for the magazine is I write an essay based on the conversation that, that based on the book you wrote and the conversation that we have. And one of the things that I plan on writing about for the essay is what I would put in my spiritual backpack. Mm. Because when I think about spiritual minimalism, I think about all the stuff that I carry around, all the spiritual baggage that I carry around. And and I ask myself the question, do I really love this? Do I really need this? And I'm thinking of things like beliefs. Now, they don't weigh anything if I put them on a scale, but they have emotional weight. They And most of it, oh, I don't know, I shouldn't say most, but much of it, I bet, is is negative weight because it's going to be a set of beliefs that I either have to defend or I have to constantly wrestle with as opposed mm-hmm. to the truth, and and, and I want to see if we can wrestle with this together for a minute, the difference between belief and truth with a, I'll say a capital T. But for me, there's a huge difference. In my mind, belief is a set of ideas that I claim as true without any evidence that they're true. Truth is something that I experience as true. So on a very mundane level, I never say, I believe I have a sister. <laughs> because I know I have a sister. That's, it's true that I have a sister. I could say to you, I believe that my sister is having dinner at the moment. I don't know that for a fact. So that's, in a sense, in a very mundane way, the difference between belief and truth. As a Jewish person, I'm supposed to believe that the Jews are the chosen people, that God gave us the the Torah and 613 commandments and all these things we're supposed to do. I don't know that's true. What I do know is true. It has nothing to do with Judaism, Buddhism, Hinduism, or anything else. What I do know is true is that everything is a manifesting of a singular, non-dual reality that you can call God, Brahman, nature, mother, whatever you want to call it, Tao. So carrying all these beliefs, I wouldn't put them in my spiritual backpack. You teach meditation, you teach these spiritual workshops. Do you teach in a system or do you teach what I'm calling, not that you have to agree with how I'm defining it, but what I'm calling truth? Does that make sense, that question?
0: Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters and What do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. 100%, and I love that distinction you made between you having a sister and you (laughs) you believing that you have a sister. I never quite thought about it in that way, but I love the way you simplified it. So thank you for, for that. And absolutely, you know, beliefs can can serve us in powerful ways until we are able to have direct experience with certain things. But at the same time, old, outdated beliefs can weigh us down. And I think that's part of the spiritual path is that you're you're becoming curious about the things that you think are true and the things that, you are creating stories around that are kind of holding you back. For instance, you know, when you write a book, the publisher says, oh, you should do a pre-sale campaign. You should give away things and promise things to people who purchase your book before the book actually comes out. So a lot of authors will have a sales page, you know, have these bonuses. You know, if you buy four books, then I will send you a postcard with, you know, some passage from the book, or if you buy one copy of the book, I'll put you inside of my online community and things like that. Well, I have a drawing that people can enter if they show proof of purchase of my book, Travel Light. And I'm giving away some of the items that I've been carrying around with me since I've been a minimalist slash nomad. And one of those items is my backpack. I'm giving away the actual backpack to a lucky winner of the drawing. I'm giving away some annotated copies of the galley of the book. I'm giving away my mala beads that I strung by hand here in Mexico City that I use. And I'm giving away my meditation shawl that I've used every day over the last several years. But I'm also giving away my reusable water bottle that I've been carrying around with me. And I posted all of this on my social media. And somebody says, you know, I'm uncomfortable with the fact that you're giving away your, your reusable water bottle. It seems a little bit like idol worship or something. I can't remember exactly how she phrased it, but, you know, I thought about that. I didn't respond to her because I don't, I don't, I don't usually engage with comments like that, but it's a symptom of a belief that this water bottle represents, you know, whatever that person says that it, it represents. But if you just look at it objectively, right, you go to restaurants and you use reusable glasses all the time that have been used by thousands of people that they wash and and dry and serve to the next person over and over and over. And we don't even think about it. This is a part of being in a restaurant. We don't think about all the energy that's gone into these utensils and these plates and these glasses that we've used over and over and over. But for some reason, we want to attach this story to this particular item that one person has used, and that one person has has used in service to a larger mission that they want to that that represents you know replenishment and represents hydration and represents whatever that person wants it to represent. So it's kind of like we we the the, the, the invitation with spiritual minimalism is to look at these conventional ideas. Oh, do I really need to live in a house? Do I need to have my name on the lease? Do I need to have all this stuff in the closet? Right. And it's not to say that everybody needs to live from a backpack, but have you even just asked the question? And if you start asking the question, it may unlock other areas of your life where you may be thinking, I needed to be in that toxic relationship or I needed to work at that soul-sucking job because how else will I pay my mortgage or how else will I? have people to go with on holiday with and these kinds of things. And you may realize that actually your path has been nudging you in a different direction the whole time. And really the only thing that was holding you back was that what you thought was true, but actually it was a belief. And actually the belief was an outdated belief. And now you've given yourself a sense of liberation and emancipation from those old beliefs. And you can make different choices. You can make conscious choices based on how you're feeling right now based on your direct experience right now, which again, those other choices may have been relevant 10 years ago or when you were a child, but now they may not be the same as, they may not be as relevant as they once were. And so that's an opportunity to make a different choice.
1: So so you seems like you're raising two different kinds of things. I and mean, on the one hand, someone's gonna end up with your meditation shawls so and now they're gonna have to carry <laughs> that around. And they've got this, oh my God, now what do I do with this thing? And are you going to replace it? I'm going to replace it. Yeah. I okay. don't know so you're, how you're going to get to another one. It. Okay. Yeah. So, I get another, I get another, I have
0: to get another backpack and you know, all yeah, the other right. things. Okay. Okay. So, Cause, so, Cause I use these items every day. So it's like goodwill.
1: You're giving it to goodwill and someone's going to have it. Okay. So that's fine. But the other kind of baggage, the, the belief baggage, it, when we're talking about that, when you're teaching your workshops or your retreats, leading your retreats. Are you giving people an opportunity for direct experience of what is, let's say, if we don't want to use the word truth, the direct experience of what is and let them label it as they choose? Or are you promoting a system? I mean, you, you were trained, you were in, in yoga, you were trained in meditation. Are you promoting a system? a religious belief, you know, do you see see yourself as a Hindu, as a Buddhist, as a you know what?
0: Yeah, I train people in a secular tradition called Vedic meditation, which is basically means meditation from ancient India. and it's it's historically known as a householder style of meditating, which in many ways, is a minimalist approach to meditation. And I struggled with meditation for a long time. That was my direct experience up until I learned Vedic meditation with my teacher. And that was the turning point where meditation went from feeling like a chore to feeling like a a, a joy. And you know, I've always said there's two types of meditators. There's the meditator who, who can't wait for the time to finish. And there's the meditator who doesn't want the time to finish. And I went from the first category not being able to wait until the time finished because it was so excruciating to the second category where I would reach the end of the meditation. And it's just like when you kind of, when your alarm goes off early in the morning, you go, Oh, just 10 more minutes. I would have that feeling. And I didn't even think that feeling was possible until I experienced it directly for myself. So it became my truth. Although I believed it could be possible back when I was having the torture experience prior to learning with my teacher. So, so now what I've become passionate about is showing people principles, principles so that they can replicate that same experience because it's possible for anybody. And some people have stumbled upon it, not realizing how they actually got there, but they've had the experience, or maybe they got to that experience through psilocybin or through plant medicine or through, you know, being in a sacred space of energy vortex or being in a temescal ceremony or something like that and and i've i've been able to show people how to get there in a reliable way pretty much anywhere where they can sit and close their eyes and that's what i that's what i'm I'm instructing people to do in the book is to take away the things that aren't necessary for getting to that place which is why it's the minimalist approach to meditation and that way you can can experience it in a deep and reliable way and that can become your truth and
1: the principles you're talking about are what you call the seven principles of spiritual minimalism
0: well those apply to the meditation yes but the specifically the meditation is a part of the first principle which is cultivate inner happiness so prioritize and cultivate inner happiness is the principle number one of spiritual minimalism and then from there it leads into other principles. But that would be sort of like in a game of, in a, in a row of dominoes, that would be the key domino that will knock down all the other dominoes.
1: Let's focus on that for a second. I mean, so, so it's this Vedic practice, which honestly, I never (laughs) call secular. I've I've read the Vedas. It's like that secular, but okay, let's go with that. But Vedic practice seems like mantra based and you, you, you use a mala. So are there mantra involved in this? Is that, part of the practice without asking you to reveal the mantra if that's something you don't normally
0: yeah do. well uh, just to just a point of clarification i'm not teaching vedic meditation in this book Travel light but my no, personal practice yes, yeah my personal practice asking. involves a mantra i i use a mantra or i should say i used to use a mantra back when i first started meditation so in that regard mantra is kind of like a training wheel it's it's a it's a tool that you can use to direct your mind towards its own least excited state of awareness. And then once you start going there on a regular enough basis, you become less and less mantra dependent. So eventually you reach a point where you graduate from using the mantra in the same way that if you're learning how to ride a bicycle, eventually you reach a point where you graduate from having to use tri- the, the, the training wheels. And then you can start manipulating the bicycle however you want. So, so that's, in that way, you become self-sufficient as a meditator. You don't depend on a mantra. And the malas I wear are decorative. It's, it designates me as some sort of spiritual practitioner. That's the reason I wear the malas. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're clear about
1: that in the book, actually. So, I mean, even, even, the, even the mantra is something ultimately you don't have to carry around. Right, if we're talking about you know minimalism, well, yeah. well, I think I think it's interesting about how much one can strip away until you end up with the core thing, whatever that core thing is. so so mm-hmm. for me, for example, the core thing is the is the realization, and you could say it in so many different traditions, but the realization, you know from the Hindu perspective, that tatfam assi that you are that that being Brahman the absolute or mm-hmm. in the Jewish tradition from the Bible from Deuteronomy ain't Mil Bado. there's nothing other than that that absolute reality that's the that's the whole thing I mean everything else to me is well you could say icing on the cake if you like it or you could say extraneous stuff to carry around if if you don't need it uh, mm-hmm. So if you were going to articulate the core truth that you've experienced, how, how would you put it into words, if you can put it into words?
0: I would use a cliche, and I would say wherever you go, there you are. So okay. you, are, you are seeing and experiencing life to the degree that you're present to it. Which means if you're not present to it, which is an internal state, then it's going to limit what you see and experience. And if you are present to it, it's going to unlock things that you didn't even realize were there. And you can see and experience those. And that can inform what you do next and how you show up next, and which direction you go in next. And so it reduces the amount of speculation that people tend to rely on. Speculation and analyzation and evaluation based on external circumstances about what to do next and hoping you're going to be in a right place at the right time versus being able to tune into that present moment awareness, which is your internal GPS, and then you can move with confidence and know that you're going to be in the right place at the right time, even though there may not be a whole lot of external evidence to support that.
1: So so tell me if I'm way off here. I got the sense that, and and I like your dominoes thing, you know, the first domino falls, I got the sense that the first domino is your starting place, but also in a sense, your ending place. So let, let me explain what I have in mind and then tell me if the, the metaphor falls fails because ultimately the dominoes all fall <laughs> down. But, but just give me some, some poetic license with, with the metaphor. So the first domino is awareness in a sense, right? Being, you know, wherever you are, you know, wherever you go, there you are. So being aware of this moment and that awareness triggers, knocks the other dominoes. And the, the final domino in the seven principles is choiceless, choicelessness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Krishnamurti, when he talks about it, he talks about choiceless awareness. This is why it took me back to the first principle. So when I'm truly aware, I, all the dominoes fall down and I'm, brought to choiceless awareness so that I I know, just what you said a moment ago, I know what to do, even if I didn't. But now that I'm aware, I know what to do and what to do is choiceless. All that, and I'm sorry, I didn't, I, I didn't write down the wording you used a moment ago, but all the speculation, all the analysis, all of that is from a lack of aware. And I'm asking you to critique this. All of that is from a lack of awareness. When I'm aware, all of that falls away because I know what's happening, what's what, and what needs to be done is choiceless. It and it's almost I won't won't say effortless, but certainly choiceless. So the first step is also the last step, which which re which fortifies the first step, and and it just keeps going around in a in a not a vicious circle. What's the opposite? In a there's a what's the opposite of that? I can't remember but a a compassionate circle, but it starts with a V and I, and I lost the word, but in a, in a, a very, you know, positive circle, not the opposite Mm -hmm. of vicious circle. So Mm -hmm. is that sort of what you're talking about?
0: You know, I love the way you articulated it and I haven't really thought about it in that way, but it it definitely, I think it definitely works, but I would say the difference is the principle one where you're cultivating that connection to the moment allows you by the time you reach principle seven to act upon what you're feeling or what you're sensing, right? So so the seventh principle, which is the freedom of choicelessness is really about the action. And, and that is to say that, you know, in our society, in our Western society, we have this idea that, that freedom is, is equivalent of having lots of options. I have enough money that I have lots of options. But really, the Eastern philosophy is there's only ever one option. There's one, it's either aligned. There's an option that's either aligned or there's the rest. There's everything right. else. And so, and when I say align, I mean align with your, your spiritual path, your spiritual purpose or your karmic path or purpose or what have you. So if you're not moving in that direction, you're going you're gonna to experience some degree of friction or tension. In your life that may not be necessary to experience but if you are moving in that direction it doesn't mean you're going to be comfortable it's just it just means that you're going to be it, you're going to be experiencing different opportunities to expand into that potential and but in order to even think about moving in a direction you have to be able to sense okay what's the direction for me and so that's why tapping into that internal gps is super important because then you don't have to rely on your intellect or your ego to figure it out. You can allow the intellect to do what it's really intended to do, which is to work out the logistics. You know, of okay, my intuition is telling me to move from New York to Los Angeles. Okay, well, I need to need to book a flight or I need to take the bus or whatever, <laughs> or you know, move out of this apartment. Yeah, That's the, what the, the intellect is for. Yeah, the practical stuff. Exactly. But the direction itself, the mission itself. Is coming from your heart,
1: yeah. And in that sense, it's choiceless. Yeah, that—that's what I was. I mean, you said it better than I did, but that—that's what I was getting at. I mean, it's a—it's a beautiful system, and it is minimalist in 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 this in this way of. There's no ism really, other than minimalism. But you know what I mean. I mean, it's <laughs> just it's it's just without labels. And right. I thought that was very beautiful, especially at a time when. You know, all these isms and ideologies are at war with one another. Mm-hmm. So the book is very timely, Light, and and I really appreciate you know you writing the book and making it available to to us, and you know being on the on the show. Our guest today, Light Watkins, is the author of "Travel Light: Spiritual Minimalism to Live a More Fulfilled Life." Travel Light is reviewed in the July, August 2023 issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. And you can learn more about Light's work at LightWatkins.com. Light, thanks so much for joining us on the Spirituality and Health podcast.
0: Thank you, Rabbi.
1: Spirituality and Health podcast is produced by Ezra Baker-Trupiano and our executive producer is Zach Avery. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five star rating on your podcast app. And if you're not already a subscriber to Spirituality and Health magazine, please become one at SpiritualityHealth.com. From everybody at Spirituality and Health magazine, we thank you for your support. Hey, it's Radley Valentine. Join me for a brand new way of connecting with your angels on my new podcast, The Angel Tarot Show. Each week, you'll meet your angelic guides and guardians and find new ways to unlock unconditional love, tune into your intuitive abilities, and create the joy-filled life that, well, you've always wanted. Plus, you'll get a useful and timely energetic weather report, bringing you guidance for the coming week. Tap into the healing, hope, and guidance that's all around you on The Angel Tarot Show, exclusively on MindBodySpirit.fm.